0: All right, well, uh, today's message, I have a title today. I don't normally have a title. (laughs) Today's message is called Clues to the Jews. Oftentimes, even as Christians, when we think of Christmas, one of the first things that might jump into our mind is presents. Either presents that you're going to get or presents that you plan to give. And I have to admit, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, Every time I hear the word presents, it makes me a little bit more nervous that I'm, you know, not prepared yet. I'm not ready for Christmas, as if Christmas is about gift-giving. Uh, the mere mention of the word makes me know that I'm behind. Uh, some of you might be thinking right now that you need to stop somewhere on the way home from church to pick up a last gift, or you might be thinking about uh, that present that you ordered online that hasn't shown up yet, and you know that somebody's getting an IOU for Christmas. Uh, we try to teach our kids that Christmas is not about presents, that it is better to give than to receive. But as a kid, that sounds kind of like craziness. It definitely seems better to receive. Um, and honestly, not, not to undermine any of your, your parenting, but when we look at the first Christmas, as far as our perspective, it was more about receiving than giving. The night that Jesus was born, the shepherds did not bring any gifts. The wise men that we saw in the Christmas program last week, they, they didn't come and tell after Jesus' birth. And so uh, there was only one physical gift given on that first Christmas, and it was given to all people, and it was in the form of a baby, and his name was Jesus. There was only one giver, but there was many receivers, many recipients, many, the whole world was, was given this gift. But almost all of the world didn't receive, didn't realize that they had been given anything. That night came and went. The sun rose the next morning and for thousands of mornings after that, and still the world at large had no idea what gift came that Christmas night. On Christmas, we focus a lot on the shepherds and the angels and Mary and Joseph and even the wise men and baby Jesus, but... What about the rest of the world? Or even the vast majority of the Jewish people, the ones who were given the promises of this coming Messiah? Jesus was given, and they had no idea that they'd received anything. To most, Jesus was just another unknown birth. Uh, He was precious, as all babies are, but with all of the clues to the Jews... They did not know that he was the long-awaited Messiah, that he was Isaiah's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, that he was the one that was going to sit on the throne of David and establish his eternal kingdom, whose government and peace will never end. There were clues to the Jews, their prophecies, promises of old, but the nation of Israel did not see all the signs that Christmas night. It was not broadcast live across the nation. They had no way of putting all these clues together. And God's great, long-awaited gift was celebrated by only a few people on that first Christmas night. Think about that. The, The greatest gift the world has ever received, given with more love than any human mind can possibly fathom, and out of the hundreds of millions of people on earth, only a few, hardly anybody, really had a clue that they had received this gift. Well, that's not quite right. It's not that they didn't, uh, they didn't know that Jesus was born, but it's not that they didn't have a clue, especially speaking of the Israelites. As I mentioned already, they did have a clue. They, had, they actually had many clues. They just weren't able to put them together. They didn't know that when Jesus was born that this future promise was no longer a future promise but it was something that was happening in their time. So uh, to kind of put ourselves in their shoes, imagine if you will that uh you had a distant relative that had been sending you letters during your childhood telling of this amazing gift, the gift of gifts that he was preparing to send you and and he would send you these letters and and in the letters, he would give you clues, uh, little ideas of of what to look for, what the circumstances and time might look like when the gift would come, so you would recognize it. It would come on a winter night. You'll find it in Ellsworth. It'll be in a brown box, and it'll be left under a street light that is not lit. Over the years, the, the clues become... Less frequent or even stop. Now many years have passed and you are an adult. Uh, Maybe you've given up on the gift or at least stopped looking for the clues. But you know that if all of these clues were ever to converge at one moment, at one time, you'd know without a doubt that that is the gift. That's the gift that was going to be sent. In the list I gave, none of those things are terribly unusual. Any one of them could, could happen, and you wouldn't give it a second thought. But the likelihood that all of them would happen at once is so improbable that when you saw it, you would know it was a long-awaited gift. But if you were not in Ellsworth on that night, if you weren't walking near that streetlight, or if you're so distracted in conversation or just wanting to get out of the cold that you're not really paying attention, you could miss it when it finally came. You could walk right past it. The promised gift of Jesus was given and the clues to the Jews came to pass and they show undeniably that Mary, wife of Joseph, gave birth to the long-awaited Messiah, Savior of the world, but they didn't realize it. They weren't there, they weren't able to see it, they didn't put all the pieces together. Let's take a look at some of these clues that were recorded between 700 and 1,400 years before Jesus' birth. Clues of where and under what circumstances the Messiah, this gift of God, would come. So the first clue that we're going to look at is that Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah." I have a hard I, I practice that word and I still can't do it right. Epitheth, epitheth I, you, you imagine it. Um, oh, you, Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in distant past, will come from you on my behalf. A child born in Bethlehem is not really uh, that unusual, it's not, not the first of its kind. Recognizing that clue would not point you towards Jesus being the Messiah. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And though it wasn't unusual for a baby to be born in Bethlehem, uh, it wasn't really all that likely for him to be born in Bethlehem considering his parents were in Nazareth during the pregnancy. And making a decision to take a 90-mile hike when you were within days of giving birth is less than ideal. But it just so happens, coincidentally if you will, that King Herod called for a census that required them to travel to Bethlehem at just the right time so that Jesus would fulfill this clue, this prophecy of the Messiah's birth. In uh, Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 we read, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went from Galilee out to the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David." So he was born in Bethlehem, and then that last verse we read actually points to our next clue. Christ was to be a descendant of King David. Throughout the Bible, there's prophecies uh, that were given that tell of from whom this Messiah, this King, was going to come. Uh, the first prophecy said he was going to come of the line of Abraham, and then down the line, then it got more and more narrow. It said then, then there was a prophecy about him coming from Isaac, and then from Jacob, and then there was a prophecy that he would come from the line of Judah, and from Jesse, and then narrowed down that he's going to come from the line of David. I mentioned already that Isaiah prophesied this, but it was also prophesied by Jeremiah, Jeremiah twenty-three verse five says for the time is coming says the lord when i will raise up a righteous descendant from my king from king david's line he will be a king who rules with wisdom he will do what is just and right throughout the land this prophecy was not just fulfilled by joseph though uh Joseph was the reason why they ended up in Bethlehem at the right time in the right place to fulfill the, the prophecy, but that was just kind of the cherry on top. Uh, Mary was also of the line of David. Her genealogy is recorded in the book of Luke, outlining her family line all the way back to David. Now having a descendant of David born in the city of David is not really much you know, much to go off of. It's not much more specific than a brown box in Ellsworth. So we need a few more clues to point us to Jesus as being the Messiah. This next one seems to stand out a little bit more. It's a little bit more specific, a little less typical. There was a star in the sky that identified Jesus as the promised king. Uh, This was not a sign. Like I said, this wasn't a sign that happened on Jesus Birth, but as we saw in the kids' program last week, the star came sometime probably while he was a baby or a toddler. Um, the star rose and it led the wise men from the east to Bethlehem to worship him and bring him gifts. In Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men arrived in Jerusalem, they spoke to King Herod and they said, in uh, verse 2 where is the newborn king of the jews we saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him and then moving on to verse 9 it says after this interview with the wise men they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to bethlehem it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was when they saw the star they were filled with joy. Now, some have wondered why exactly were there these wise men from the east looking for this king? What what interest would they have had in a, a king of the of the Jews? Now, one possible answer to this question is that the wise men may have come from Babylon, which is on the opposite side of the Fertile Crescent. From your from your perspective, it'd be this way. So Babylon is to the east, and so the, these wise men would have been coming far from from the far east. Also, if you remember your history of Israel, you'll remember that at one point Jerusalem was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. We read the stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and about Daniel. And we know that that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had the had Israel's best and brightest young men taken back to Babylon to serve in his palace. And they were they were further educated by the people in the palace to be servants of them. We also know that when King Nebuchadnezzar was in need of some wisdom, some interpretation of a dream, he called on uh, his wise men or counselors, which uh, were magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. So among those whom the young men from Israel would have served alongside and presumably would have been the ones teaching them were astrologers, those who study the stars. So um, after this time of captivity, many of the, uh, the Israelites moved back to Jerusalem, but some of them stayed. Some of them set up Jewish colonies in Babylon. So it is not a far-reaching idea to think that some of these people who were astrologers serving in the king's temple would have had access to these prophecies, to this knowledge about this great star that was going to rise, um, speaking of a king that was to come, a great king. One of the ancient scriptures that may have aided them in concluding that this star was identifying this newborn king is found in Numbers chapter 24. And it's kind of an interesting story in itself. A little context here is uh, the chapter is talking about a non-Israelite prophet that's been hired by, by uh, Balak, king of Moab. Uh, the prophet's name is Balaam. So he hired Balaam to come and curse Israel, but instead of cursing him, he blessed Israel three times. And before he left this furious king, he gave one last prophecy to him. And this is the prophecy that he gave in Numbers, it says, This is the message Balaam delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor, the message of a man whose eyes see clearly, the message of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not here and not now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob and a scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheath. So, yeah, we have a place, Bethlehem. We have a family, which is the descendants of David. Uh, We have an unusual event. We have this strange star that that appeared in the sky, that is referenced back to Balaam's message in Numbers. And that last clue, uh, the last clue that we're going to cover, actually, took place about the same time as the star. So the wise men followed the star, and they spoke to King Herod. And we're going to get into that in a minute, but the clue is, is first found in Hosea 11, verse 1. And the clue is, "...when Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called my son out of Egypt." So the Messiah is going to be called out of Egypt, born in Bethlehem, but called out of Egypt. When we first read this clue, uh, you might tend to think that this is probably referring to Israel being taken out of Egypt, when Moses led them out of Egypt, that that would be what this is talking about. And that's not incorrect. But when you look in the Bible, there's a lot of prophecies that speak to two different events. They're talking about two times at the same time. And so there's a a partial or lesser fulfillment that happens in the near future or in the present time. There's a meaning for that day or for the near future, but then there is a more full, greater fulfillment that happens in the distant future. Uh, Some call this a dual reference prophecy or they call it a dual fulfillment prophecy. There's another example uh, of this type of prophecy that also has to do with the birth of Christ, And it has to do with the Messiah's virgin birth. This prophecy was given to the king of Judah in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah 7, verse 14 through 16 says, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. By the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and wrong, or right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will be deserted. Okay, so when you first hear this, uh, or when this was first spoken, uh, this was spoken to the king of Judah. So at this time, the king of Judah was was fearing. Um, actually, the. Israel, the other half of Israel, was was teaming up with another country and he thought that they were going to attack him. And so um, there was, God gave this word to him to let him know that within the amount of time that it would take for somebody who was not pregnant to get pregnant, have a baby, and before that child would become uh, old, become like an adolescent where it can choose right and wrong, somewhere within that window... Um, he would see that those nations will fall apart, that they're not going to be, the, the nations he feared are going to be destroyed. And so uh, he didn't have to worry about that. So it was in the near future, it was talking about a time frame uh, that he could see that those, that threat was going to be dissipated. Um, but there was also a distant fulfillment, a greater distant fulfillment to this prophecy. And that was fulfilled when, literally, when a, virgin named Mary conceived Jesus by the power of God's holy spirit and gave birth to one who is called Emmanuel God is with us. So there's the near and there's the far fulfillment of the same prophecy. So the same is true with this prophecy in Hosea. Now the the words he's using are talking about something that happened in the past to make a point in the present, but it's also a prophecy about the future saying that Moses um saying that, that just as Moses led the people of Israel, so he will also call his son Jesus. Not out of Israel, out of Egypt. He'll call Jesus out of Egypt. Um, we read earlier that the wise men met with King Herod and that they were looking for this newborn king. Now, uh, some of the little bits I've read about Herod this last week, he was, very, he was known to be a very brutal, brutal king, um, very wicked. And he was known to have these anger, these like violent outbreaks that would would happen mostly because he was very, very jealous of his position as king. Any sort of threat would throw him into one of these sort of uh, brutal attacks. So when the news of this newborn king uh, came to him, he made a plan to try and kill Jesus. Now, I, I found this kind of strange because... He would just have to be a very arrogant man to think, to, I mean, if you're going to believe that this prophecy is true, then you have to also believe that the star is identifying this, right? This is a prophecy from God. So, so there's a God who can control the stars, okay, but you think that you can stop his plan. <laughs> I mean, a reasonable person would either not believe the prophecy and not do anything or believe the prophecy and be like, well, there's nothing I can do about that. I mean, but, but Herod, uh, he was not a reasonable man. <laughs> he, he, he chose instead to plan uh, a course of attack to try and stop Jesus from being king. Of course, he didn't realize that Jesus already was king. He, <laughs> you can't stop him from being king. He was, just as the wise men said, they came to see the newborn king. He already was king. And we also know that from Jesus' time on earth that killing him isn't really going to stop him, right? But Herod made his plans, and his plans simply help fulfill the last prophecy. I'm going to have the worship team come. Is it really quarter after 10? Oh, sorry, I was thinking I was trying to aim for 10. 1030. We'll get there. Don't worry. I'll get you out the door. All right. Uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, we read a continuation of the story. Normally, I don't watch the clock. I just—I I have a certain amount of stuff I'm getting through, and you're just going to sit there and listen to it. But uh, I said we we're going to try and get done by 9:30 or 10:30, not 9:30. Um, so we'll we'll get there. All right. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child, with the child and his mother. The angel said, "Stay there until, until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him." That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until King Herod's, until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, "I called my son out of Egypt." God gave clues to the Jews, clues that maybe you wouldn't understand right away. I mean, this last clue, I mean, it seemed like it already had its place and fulfillment maybe in the past. But after the Messiah was born, they could look back and they could see, hey, wait a second, this this proves again in another way that Jesus truly was the Messiah. He truly was the one promised. He is that gift that we were meant to receive. If you imagine, again, in your childhood that you uh, received all those clues that I gave you earlier, uh, and now 50 years have gone by. And tonight, this winter night, you happen to see a brown box under a broken street light in Ellsworth. Do you think you would remember the clues? If you did, would you stand there pondering, questioning, wondering if this was that amazing gift of gifts that was promised to you, or would you tear that thing open? Would you recognize it and tear it open and know that this is, this is that gift, that is, this is that great gift that was promised so long ago, this gift of gifts? I would take the chance, I would, I would go after it. The clues to the Jews were not given to make Christmas programs more interesting. They were given to point us to the one gift that was given to the whole world on that first Christmas night. If you haven't yet, don't hesitate to receive him. He is the answer to the clues for the Jews. He is the one that made a way for all men, all people, to be saved. The angel told Mary to name him Jesus and that he will be very great and he will be called Son of the Most High. The angel of the Lord told Joseph that you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The Lord spoke through Isaiah the prophet saying that he will be called Emmanuel. God is with us. Jesus was and is the greatest gift you could ever imagine. He is hope for the hopeless. He is peace for the restless. He is joy for those who mourn. He is strength for the weary. In Christ, we have eternal life. In Christ, we've been made children of the Most High God. In Christ, we get to share in the inheritance of the glory of God. What do you say about such a gift? What do you, what do you say to such a giver that would give us something that great that would a, a god that would call us his own as i pondered this uh, and an old praise song maybe to some of you it doesn't seem old because it's not a hymn but an old praise song came to mind that says oh god you are my god and i will ever praise you i will seek you in the morning i will learn to walk in your ways and step by step you lead me and i will follow you all of my days he has gave us all and he deserves our all this Christmas as we follow the clues to the Jews to the Messiah and celebrate the greatest gift that the world has ever received let's offer back to him all that we have let's stand and pray Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this great gift. We thank you that, uh, that Jesus uh, wasn't born and left in obscurity, Lord, but that you left a trail of clues for us to follow, that we could know and identify that he is the Messiah, that he is the King of the Jews, that he is the King of Kings, the gift given to the whole world that all might receive him and be saved. Lord, we know he was born to be king. And what does that mean? We don't, we're not that familiar with kings these days. But when we receive him, when we recognize him as king, we surrender to him. We pledge allegiance to him. We give all authority to him. We give all glory and honor to him. Not as a tyrant king, but as a loving king that doesn't just... Uh, call us to be His slaves, but calls us to be His children. That lovingly saw our need as we were lost in sin, with the penalty of death holding hanging over our heads, and He came and made a way. He held back His wrath until He came Himself to Earth to take on the penalty we deserved and absorbed it all in our place. Lord, we thank you for this precious gift of Jesus. Amen and we celebrate him today. In Jesus' name, amen. The light has come. We're gonna celebrate this Christmas. We're gonna join with family and friends. We're gonna exchange gifts. But we're gonna remember that on that first Christmas, there was one gift, and it was given to the whole world. And we are the lucky recipients of this gift. Undeserved, unearned. If anything, we we earn the opposite. We, 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 we deserved him saying, no, you don't, you don't get this gift. But out of his great love, out of his great mercy, he received us. He saw us, loved us, and redeemed us. And so, let's celebrate that Jesus Christ, our Lord, has been born. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit, telling the good news of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, giving thanks to God for his great gift to us. Amen?